When our world turned upside down in March of 2020, most of us, not knowing anything about COVID-19, turned to our local and national health experts for the information we needed. And in West Virginia, Dr. Clay Marsh quickly became that leader after he was tabbed the coronavirus czar by Governor Jim Justice. And for the first few months, we tuned in, day after day, listening closely as Dr. Marsh updated us on the state situation. And it's been quite the roller coaster ride of emotions, from being the last state to find a positive case, to at one time having the worst RT value in the country, to now leading the way in vaccinating our population. It's certainly been an up and down experience. Yeah, and if you think it's been difficult for the public to process, can you even imagine what Dr. Marsh goes through? Well, you will, because we talk about that. In this interview, we wanted to get to know the man behind the TV screen, learn about his upbringing and the people who have made him the guiding light he is today. And we dive into some family history and unique stories that you simply don't get to hear when he's on the news updating West Virginia about COVID. Like, for example, his father was a newspaper columnist who interviewed Martin Luther King Jr. Their family housed John F. Kennedy in the early 1960s. And Dr. Marsh's funny and unique stories with West Virginia University President Gordon Gee. We do discuss what's next for our state and how everyone can stay safe through this turbulent time. But this is certainly a must listen if you don't know much about Dr. Marsh. We do hope you enjoy, as always. And with that, Mace... Hit the music. The uh, sun does not always shine in West Virginia, but the people always do. All right, Dr. Marsh, how's it going today? Thanks for taking some time to speak with us. Well, it's going very well. It's, uh, you know, it started off being a little bit of a slippery day outside, but it's beautiful with the snow. And, uh, you know, every day is a day to be thankful for. And I think during the COVID pandemic, it gives us even more reason to be thankful for each day. Yeah, no question about it. And you of all people know that, but we will talk COVID and and everything going on right now. But I do want to bring up this thing because last Monday was um, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And we were scouring the internet looking for Martin Luther King Jr. connections to West Virginia. And we found this article, Alabama pastor hails transition. It was in the Charleston Gazette. Uh, back January 25th, 1960, the byline of that story, Don Marsh, yep. your father, right? Yes. Kind yes. of funny. Here we are 60 years later. You're you're in the media spotlight every day. He was in the media. He was. But uh, just, I mean, coincidental, but uh, you're certainly no stranger to uh, the papers and, and uh, the TV crews, are you? Not at all. And, and, you know, it's really, it's, it, it, I think it's interesting you bring that up because I did see that Bill Case posted that and on Twitter and, and uh, that's come up before. And, and my dad was an interesting person, but he loved the state and he loved to stand up for who he considered people that couldn't stand up for themselves. And he was a person that believed deeply in social justice and, and, and so it is appropriate that on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, 
which really is, a, you know, is such an important day to celebrate for all of us. And, you know, we still haven't reached the, the, the mountaintop that, uh, that Dr. King, you know, hoped that we would. But I think that given the convergence of different issues that are going on in our country, I have great optimism that Dr. King's vision for America will be realized. And I think that we are seeing the finest days of the state of West Virginia during this crisis where people are really rallying together. And it does feel to me being back in West Virginia that in some metaphorical ways, I've picked up a torch from my dad. So it's, uh, it's very cool for a whole bunch of reasons, but thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, that story was when Martin Luther King Jr. came to Charleston, he spoke in front of a crowd, your your father reported on that. Growing up in that house, obviously you went into the health field. Did uh, you ever think twice, maybe uh, writing, maybe the journalism path was for you? So it's really funny. My dad said that he loved his job. He thought he had the best job in the world, but he didn't want <laughs> either of his kids ever to do that job. And so, so he said if he was better in sciences, he may not have been a reporter, but uh but, you know, each, all of us have found our path. My brother is a lawyer. And, and uh, so, um, you know, it's, uh, we grew up in a great house, loving parents and lots of information around all the time. My dad was an information junkie and, and I sort of picked up his love for reading and, and, you know, we used to debate each other regularly. He would get, uh, he would give me either side of an argument and then he would beat me substantially in that side of the argument then he'd flip and take the side of the argument I had but that really did help me learn to you know to talk and to argue from different points and have data to back up what you believe so so all that really has played out uh, nicely for the work that I've done and that I have the privilege to do today. That's, I mean, that's a good, uh, a good transition because now you're, did you ever envision yourself when you were, you know, growing up in West Virginia or uh, actually let me back up. What was that like? Did you grow up? Did you stay in the state throughout your childhood? Because I know a lot of folks, West Virginians have seen you on TV. They've kind of come to know you with, with the COVID response, but how did you get in the position you are today? Maybe kind of like share some insight on that. Maybe it's the Peter principle, you know, that uh, <laughs> you, you, you keep getting promoted to the level that, you, that you're not really competent to do. No, I mean, I grew up in Charleston, okay. went to Charleston High School, went to WVU and went to undergraduate medical school at WVU. Gordon Gee was the president when I graduated the first time. That's hilarious. Yeah. And yeah. my dad was, uh, you know, was the editor of the Gazette, I think, at that point. And he used to regularly hurl, you know, hand grenades over the walls at whoever was on the other side. And apparently Gordon was on the other side of a few of those. <laughs> and, so, and so when I got to be, I went to Ohio State and did my training after medical school. And, and Gordon had just become the president of Ohio State. And, and I was in my white coat and, you know, and Gordon comes around, he's so friendly. How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? And he walks around us and he's, you know, and he looks at me. And he looks at my name tag and he looks at me again. And he goes, you know, is, you know, is your name Clay Marsh? And I said, yes. And he said, is your dad's name Don Marsh? And I said, oh yeah, he is. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, he knows me, the president of the university. And Gordon puts his arm around me and said, you're fired. And, you know, and, he, and he laughed, but, but for a minute he was very serious. And so anyway, but, uh, but he was there twice, Ohio State president twice. And when he came back, 
he pulled me back and gave me an opportunity to come back home. And, and I've been back for about six years. And, you know, we've really grown the, the health side of the university and WVU Medicine recruited about maybe 800 to 1,000 new physicians to Morgantown and, and have built a lot of capabilities. And when the pandemic started, you know, Governor Justice and I had gotten to know each other and, you know, being from the university, I volunteered, you know, to assist in any way I could. And that ultimately led to the longest sustained crisis response in the history of the state and the whole COVID czar thing. Czars die bad deaths. So I'm not sure that's really a good title, but, uh, <laughs> but anyway, but, you know, it's not really the title, but the opportunity to, to serve is really quite a privilege. And I'm just tremendously proud of the team that we have and the work that's been done and the great work of all West Virginians. You know, we're best in the country at this response. And, and that's meaningful because that really does translate to live saves. So, so people here have done an extraordinary job. I think when he coined the phrase czar, Governor Justice, I think a lot of people thought it was kind of a joke or maybe it was a little <laughs> funny at first, but then it was like everybody started using it and it was like, oh, this really stuck. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting because um, life turns out so much different than you ever planned. And it's just really weird because at Ohio State, I had a lot of different kind of experiences and I'm a, a physician and do... Um, intensive care unit work and lung work. So I'm a pulmonary and critical care physician, but I had some experience in administrating and research and innovation and, and personalized medicine. And I did a good amount of research myself in genetics and epigenetics. So, so a lot of that work really translated perfectly to the job I'm doing right now and, right. and to the job at the university. So, so it's really interesting, you know, it's like, what's that T.S. Eliot poem about, we, you know, we, and as we can, uh, as we continue our exploring, uh, we, you know, we come back to the beginning and only discover that we're there for the first time. And I really feel like there's a lot of that, you know, that kind of completing the cycle circle back in West Virginia and being able mm-hmm. to serve. It's been great. Now, take us back to, you know, in March, the COVID comes out and I think we sort of hear the rumblings of, you know, a new coronavirus out of China, what in like, like January and like maybe late December. And then February, it was still like, oh, like maybe a few cases at that point. And then I remember a day in March where I was actually like traveling to my girlfriend's house and then, you know, like Tom Hanks had gotten it. And then the NBA had shut down and it just felt like, holy crap, like this is really becoming a thing in America. How yeah. quickly like take us back to that part. Like was were you called by the governor? How quickly did West Virginia mobilize in that regard? And then now, like you said, West Virginia is in the spotlight for leading the vaccination response. So we, we've really you know taken a, a role in the leadership. But what was that like in March and how much has changed since then? Well, you know, I, I think that all of us, me certainly included, were completely underrating what was going to happen and you know, who'd have ever thunk that this virus would have shut the whole world down and, you know, and, and had the impact. I mean, we've just passed 400,000 Americans dying. We've passed 2 million world citizens dying. I mean, that's just extraordinary. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I was watching at the university, um, you know, before I was asked to do this role by the governor with the state and our university, you know, we were debating about what to do you know, around spring break and 
you know, and and how to navigate the university and and um, and as we went through those um, discussions with you know Gordon Gee and and the leadership team, I really started to pay a lot of attention and been paying some attention, but more around what was going on in Italy, which is really terrible. You know, in Italy, northern Italy, which is a really rich part of Italy. At one point, they got so overwhelmed, they decided that if you were over 65 years old, you didn't go to an ICU, you didn't get a mechanical ventilator, and their mortality rate, because they were so overwhelmed, was up around 15%. And if you look at, you know, the best places, probably 2 to 3%. And, you know, if you look at the virus itself, probably even less. So Italy was just overwhelmed. And so that really informed us on the university and we decided not to, you know, have the students come back from spring break and and went online for that period of time after that. Um, but <clears throat> but then New York City happened, and when you started to see New York City happen, then it was clear that not only was COVID nineteen in the United States, but if we didn't start to pay a lot of attention, we we're going to have a huge amount of problems in, in in West Virginia. I think the Kaiser Family Foundation had rated our population as the most vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if COVID laid the kind of waste and impact to West Virginia did to New York, we would see a lot of people die. And so, you know, I think the governor saw that as well and organized, uh, you know, uh, a meeting of the leadership group. And, and as the university person, you know, I was part of that discussion and as time went on, the governor decided even before we had a single case to, you know, to to create an executive order to, uh, for state of emergency and and started to shut down nursing home visitations. And that was before we had a documented case in West Virginia. Yeah. And then as things kind of moved on, and we know that COVID really hit the urban, most connected parts of our country first, but then the rural parts of our country you know, then it became clear that this was a longer haul issue and it was going to create a lot of challenges for all states, including West Virginia. And then the governor asked if I would, you know, stay and help, you know, coordinate the efforts and the response for the state working, of course, with him, working closely with, uh, you know, Major General Jim Boyer, who was the Adjutant General of the National Guard and, and Secretary Bill Crouch and the team. And of course, and you know, and Gordon Gee, my boss and mentor, was wonderful enough to say, "Sure, go do that," and mm -hmm. you know, we'll 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 figure out how we cover you know what you're doing at the university. And of course, lots of good people have done a lot of work. And <clears throat> even though, <clears throat> excuse me, even though my title is bizarre of the thing, I mean, we know that's a that's a laugh because you know the outcomes of any team is really related to the excellence of all the members and the leader you know eventually is just about serving others and so we have a great group very service oriented lots of smart people few egos you know harry truman amazing what can happen when you don't care who gets the credit mm -hmm. and i've just been not only delighted and grateful but I have been inspired by the great work of many, many people, lots of people you never even hear about. I mean, we're on you know, these news briefs, so we get to be on TV a lot, um, which is fine. 
but ultimately it's really the service that matters and yep. and you know and the fact that uh, we've done well is really translates to that we've saved people's lives and we've helped people and that's really i mean there can't be anything better than that i remember we had gordon gee was our second guest oh great on this podcast and one of his the, one of the funniest parts that we talked about this was back in august he said you know if he uh when all the students came back in the fall if he had to he would uh show up in a hazmat suit to go shut down some of these parties because we'd asked him he was such a friendly guy and he liked to be out in the out and about but he said he, he wouldn't be afraid to go shut down these parties in the hazmat um and here he is he, he did he put his arm over your shoulder and say this time you're hired when the yeah, asked yeah, you no, he, he, he corrected that and we got to be good friends particularly during his second tenure at uh, at ohio state and gordon is just such a remarkable person you know he's um the longest continuous president of American University and yep. American University history, signed more diplomas than any other single person. Um, but, but I think the, the thing about Gordon that I, a lot of people don't really know as well is number one is he's really quite fearless and his fearlessness, his lack of, of hesitating to be part of a conversation, to jump in, to, you know, to make an impact. He's also very wise. I mean, the idea about data meet experience is where you gain wisdom and he is so wise, but he's also really kind and, uh, and, and is very curious. And I think that the great thing about Gordon is he's never stopped learning and he's never stopped seeking how he can continue to serve others. So it's really quite a treat to be here with him again. And uh, I've learned so much from him and I feel so grateful that I'm back. West Virginia is such an amazing place, but it would all of what we have done at the university would not have happened, in my opinion, had he not come back to be the president again. So I, I really give him a tremendous amount of credit for setting the right team to recruiting great people, to believing in the abundance mindset. We can do it mm. if we believe we can do it. And, uh, and it's really been so much fun to be back, uh, particularly be back with him. What's up, Mountaineer Media Podcast fans? We're not going to ask you to rate, review, and subscribe to the Mountaineer Media Podcast, nor are we going to ask you to go to mountaineermedia.org and sign up for our newsletter. We're simply going to say, hey, have a great day. Wear a mask, social distance. We're all going to get through this. The light continues to shine in West Virginia. We hope that we're a small part of your day and bring you a little bit of joy. Um, and we're very, very excited to talk to Dr. Clay Marsh today. So let's get right back to the episode. See you. I think it's so important too, uh, Dr. Marsh, is that it feels like, you know, I guess I'm not involved in other states, like my ears not to the ground, but it feels like West Virginia to have like one of your major university, you know, presidents uh, be so involved in, in lead this way. And West Virginia's footprint, obviously, in the state of West Virginia is, is huge. I, you can't help but think that just helps the, a feeling of look at that. That's why West Virginia, it look, at, least, at least we're making progress towards, you know, beating this virus. And like you said, that's not to... The, the big headline people and the people in the positions that are of leadership, but it's, you know, my sister's a physician at CAMC in Charleston. I mean, they've been battling this, you know, on the front lines, all the nurses, all the, even, you know, of course, the janitorial staff cleaning up the hospital, like every, you know, side of it's been a, a whole, you know, fight against a whole group of people that have been fighting this for us. Um, where do you think, I mean, in terms of, I know you can't predict this, but 
is in terms of heading into 2021, do you foresee, you know, Q2, Q3, if, if we can get more and more people vaccinated, do you, do you think that, is that what is a common maybe goal amongst medical professionals? Um, hopefully maybe to re- return to normal, whatever that normal, I guess is. Yeah, sure. And no, I think that's a really important question. And, you know, as you might have predicted, I don't have a absolute <laughs> answer because there's a lot of, you know, contingencies. But, but what I would say is the following. So, you know, number one is that we already have a vaccine that is more of a behavioral vaccine and it's called a mask. And the more people that wear it and the more people that pay attention to not going out when you're sick and staying home when you can and being careful about socializing, the more that we're gonna reduce the transmission of this virus as we continue to you know, vaccinate as many West Virginians as we can and, and wait for more vaccine to come, which I know that is going to be coming. Um, but it's going to take a little bit of time to be able to roll out the amount of vaccine that we really need. And, you know, and the virus is mutating. So we know that the virus is constantly changing and it's not really changing to try to just specifically evade what we're doing, but this is a messy virus as many viruses are, and it's not so precise every time it, 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 uh, you know, it grows and, and replicates. And because of that, then there's different versions of the virus all the time. And if you, you know, if you direct medicine or vaccines against certain versions, then the versions that don't get covered quite as well, they kind of hang out still. And that's how you get these kind of mutant viruses to, to come around. So there's always a race between, you know, how many people we can vaccinate, how well we can mitigate using masks and physical distancing and design our vaccines and other interventions, and then how the virus is moving. Now, one thing that's really interesting though, and maybe a lot of people don't know this or realize this, but the virus, like each one of us wants to live. That's part of the Mm -hmm. driver of anything that's, you know, that exists. And so the virus to be really successful eventually has to become a lot less deadly, a lot less virulent, a lot less problematic for us. So right now we're trying to live with the virus, but eventually for the virus to really be successful, it's gonna have to live with us. So we also anticipate that over time, the virus should get less toxic. Hmm. And you know, there's a bunch of coronaviruses that we live with all the time. They're just common cold viruses. So, so I think that there's a lot of dynamics that are yet to happen, but I would say safely, given where we are right now, that we probably won't see a real change. You know, if you look at people starting to be able to get out and get around each other and all this stuff, probably at the very earliest till the summer time to early fall time. And maybe even as late as fall to winter to you know early 2021, and a lot of that just re, you know relies on how much vaccine we're getting and how quickly mm-hmm. can we vaccinate people, because for herd immunity, 70 plus percent of the of the you know state to be immune either through vaccination or through getting the infection and getting better from it, that's going to probably at this at the rate we're going now with the vaccine we have now will be 2021, but we do anticipate the vaccine will pick up over the next few months. 
what is just so shocking, almost mind blowing to me about this entire process, because you see other countries now, granted you, you population obviously is, is a massive a reason part of this, but like a, new, a country like New Zealand lifts all COVID restrictions whatsoever. And here we are in the United States begging people to get vaccinated. So it's, it's the, the stark differences in, in uh, how people are looking at this versus how people are dealing with this across the world is just so I mean, it's, it's fascinating, but for all the wrong reasons, right? Yeah, it is. But, you know, I think that um, what we're finding, which I'm really encouraged by, is that for a lot of people that were initially hesitant to take the vaccine, they're coming back now and say, I want it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we're also seeing a really strong reduction in transmission rates right now. And whether that's just a temporary lull in the, you know, what's going to happen next, or whether that's a trend because we have vaccinated more people. But we are also seeing in a non-scientific way, but just seeing a lot of people that are wearing masks now much more than they did. So so I do think that people are starting to trust more that the vaccines are not dangerous and harmful and nobody's trying to, you know, conspiracy wise, they, they don't have any bad you know, intentions of the people that have generated them. But also, I, I think people are believing that COVID-19 is real. And, you know, and they've seen people get sick from it. And in West Virginia, we've seen over 1800 of our citizens die of COVID-19. Which and is- as I said before, in the US, 400 plus thousand around the world, over 2 million. I mean, that's extraordinary. It's huge. I got to give you credit, too, because th- what's so crazy about West Virginia specifically is last state to find a positive test. At one point, it had the worst r not value in the country. And here we are leading the country in, inoculate- in the inoculation process. I mean, the roller coaster that this has oh, been yeah. on has just well, been the insane. The other thing, it's great. Our, our, our T, our not value is the best of the country today, too. So <laughs> there you go. I so mean, the, let's talk about is, this thing. Yeah, right. Crazy. Of course. But I think that what we've seen the whole time is that our state has stayed together. I mean, there's been some disagreements for sure, mm-hmm. but the governor's done a great job and, you know, and messaging correctly, making the right decisions. You know, he's the guy making the decisions. We make recommendations, but, you know, he's a smart guy. He gets it and he's made really good decisions, in my opinion. But ultimately, it's really about the people of the state doing the right stuff. And, and you know, we've as a state, not as a leadership team, not as a single individual, as a state, we've saved a lot of people's lives. We have done really good. The vaccine is certainly something that people are looking at now, but we've been really good through the whole of the vaccine. And most of that has been because our citizens have been willing and stayed with us as a, you know, as a single unit community to be able to do the things that we need to do and have needed to do to navigate this. And, you know, obviously we've still lost over 1800 people. So it's, that's not where we would have preferred it to be, but relative to what all the prediction models were and everything else, we've, we've done really, really well. Well, especially too, because, you know, early on it was like, you go to the grocery store and I was like, we were like bleaching the outside of my frozen, (laughs) like potatoes. Like, you know, we were like washing everything. I think we've learned a lot about the virus too, but, but like you mentioned, like, yes, the vaccine, when it's your turn, if you can, you know, get, get vaccinated. Um, But also the best measures we have now is you got to wear, you know, wear a mask, socially distant, you know, increase hand washing. Um, Are there other 
you know, general health tips to, I mean, I, I know you can't, you know, give medical advice that'll go against you know, your code as a physician, but like for individuals, is it, you know, I've heard people said like vitamin D, like, are there other ways to just, I guess, protect yourself from COVID that like the, that's now commonly accepted within the medical community? That's a really good question. So let me kind of unpack that into two different buckets. So the, the first bucket is, are there other things that you can do to protect yourself? And, and I would mm -hmm. say from a, you know, a behavioral perspective, you mentioned the really important ones, but, but there's one other, or actually two others that I think are worthy to at least mention. Number one is if you're sick at all, if you get the sniffles, if you're something, then you should go get tested because COVID transmission has been substantial enough that you don't know when you could be infected and, and not. And, and therefore, one of the things you can do is don't go around other people if you're sick. And even if you're like a little sick, and if you're a little sick, go take advantage of some of our free testing sites and get tested. Because we know that 50 to 75% of the spread of COVID-19 is from people that are either asymptomatic the whole time through or in the pre-symptomatic, you know, 48-hour window or so before symptoms start. And therefore, lots of spread can happen when people don't know that they're infected and, you know, are not meaning to infect anybody else. But, but that's the reason why I pay a lot of attention to that. The second thing is that for right now, the majority of the spread of COVID-19 is in small gatherings and people who know each other, extended families, friends. So, you know, when people get together, a lot of times they're kind of like, ah, you know, we, we know each other, you know, no problem. You know, we'll just hang out together. And that, you know, can end up being a super spreader event. So if you're going to get together, try to be outside and wear masks around each other. If you're going to drink or eat or something like that, try to stay distance and, you know, and wear a mask as much as you can, try to be outside again. There's emerging data coming out that would say, even if you've been vaccinated, you could still potentially spread COVID to other people. Right. If both people in the group, if all the people have been vaccinated and you're two weeks out from your, or more out from your second vaccine, then everybody should be safe about taking masks off but you can still carry COVID-19. At least that's what the literature says right now. So, so that's an important consideration. On the medical side, in general, if you test positive and you're over 65 years old, or if you're under, if you're 55 with high blood pressure or heart disease or kidney disease, or, then you should go get the monoclonal antibody, the Lilly drug, and those are available free in West Virginia. And those are really better the closer you take it to your positive tests, because these antibodies coat the virus and block the virus from getting connected to the cells in our body, which is the way they get uptaken into our body. So they really need to be done preventatively. Mm -hmm. And if you do test for COVID, and there's no contraindications, then probably taking a baby aspirin is a reasonable thing because sometimes you can get blood clotting from COVID. And you definitely want to call your doctor, even if you don't need to go see the doctor and you don't need to go to the emergency room, just to make sure that your physician or your healthcare worker, whoever that is, is familiar with the fact that you do have COVID-19. 
if you go into the hospital, there's a series of things that are indicated depending on how sick you are. If you go to the ICU, if you get put on a mechanical ventilator, there's a whole series of steps. I won't go into that because that's probably not sure. relevant for the audience. But there's a lot of stuff on the internet, zinc, vitamin D, et cetera. As far as I've read, there's really nothing that is proven, you know, to be able to, um, to, to keep you from getting COVID-19. And the key is to reduce your risk of getting it by not being around other people. And we know that COVID-19 spreads by droplets and aerosols. So it's really the aerosolization and droplets that happen, you know, where people are singing, yelling, breathing hard, et cetera, you know, gyms, um, restaurants, indoor restaurants, bars, those are all places, churches, where we've you know, historically seen spread. So avoiding those for right now. And, and I think that you know, a lot of people are just getting really tired. It's, oh, I just wanna go out and I wanna go to a game, I wanna right. go to, but right now it's probably important for all of us just to stay in there. And another several, you know, few months when the weather breaks and it gets warmer outside and we get back outside, I think things are gonna be a lot better by then. May not be over, but a lot better. Mm-hmm. Has that been the most difficult part even from your perspective as, you know, um, from the health side, the, the balancing act of knowing, okay, people probably shouldn't go to bars and restaurants, but at the same time, you can't just, the, the effects of a complete shutdown again would be, you know, devastating. I mean, the balancing act of doing a little, but not taking everything away. Has that been the most difficult part? I know from your perspective, you're not necessarily the, the decision maker like governor justices, but I'm sure that that's something that even you weigh when you give your opinion and and give your recommendations. Yeah, you know, maybe that was a more of an issue uh, several months ago than it is Mm -hmm. now. You know, now the spread is really community. I mean, and it's not in bars and restaurants, it's in people's homes and gatherings. and, and, And the key is, and you know, with the new variant that's at least projected to become more and more of the, you know, of the, the spread in the near future, maybe in the March timeframe, then we know that that transmission, the ability to infect other people is even higher with that mutant form of the virus. And so I think the hardest thing to me, it's not really hard, but is that, you know, I know from a medical standpoint or reading science or whatever, there are really simple things that make a really big difference, but it only really works if everybody plays and that includes masks. So and true. Distancing, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, and being vaccinated. And I would never pretend that I know, you know, better for somebody than they know for themselves. I think the only challenge, and this is what I'm, I'll, I'll get to the question. The hardest thing is I do know that from a public good standpoint, there are things that like everybody wearing a mask, everybody physically distancing, taking, choosing to be vaccinated. Those things are really public health measures mm-hmm. that when you protect yourself that way, you're really protecting other people. You're protecting your neighbors, you're protecting our vulnerable citizens, you know, et cetera. And we know that, you know, and I know many teachers are worried going back in school, we know from the data is really safe in the classroom, but people feel that that puts them at risk. And 
you know, and people that are working in certain areas that restaurants or whatever, they may feel at risk. So ultimately, I know that there are solutions to reducing risk for everybody, but it does require everybody to play. And, and by really that being the truth is it starts to look like it infringes on people's personal rights. And that balance, because I believe deeply that everybody has the right to make their own decision with their own life, that mm -hmm. is a principle, that's a foundation for medical ethics. And But on this one, making a decision that you may say is right for you may cost other people their lives. And so how to balance that? And I don't think there's a good answer, but that's been the hardest part for me. I mean, cause I, I will personally, you know, I always try to wear a mask, although I was at the university the other day and I walked out, I was in a hurry and I got like, oh my crap, I forgot my mask. So I had to grab <laughs> one stop. Because even I forgot. You even know, Dr. Morse forgets every now and then. But, you know, but I think that you want to evidence the behavior, you know, that you want other people to follow. But that's a hard one because it's um, because you see some people that are, you know, making good of their personal rights. But we know that puts other people at risk. So anyway. You right. ever, do you ever, have you had a chance? I, I used to do it more early on than I do it now, but do you ever just sit back and, and kind of quickly get lost in your thoughts? Like what happened? I mean, in the blink of an eye, the world gets turned upside down and, and it's like the things that I'm doing, the, 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 the new adjustments that I make to my life. Again, I do it less than I did before, but even you, do, do you still catch yourself thinking, man, how quickly things changed? Yeah. You know, I'm, I have to say that this whole time of COVID has been an amazing growth experience. I mean, I've learned so much. And, and I, again, I'm really so grateful and feel so privileged to be able to serve. But I have also, I have a, a, a philosophy and I believe that everything happens for a reason. Even if I don't understand it, it happens for a reason and I trust that. And so I've really spent a lot of time during this pandemic and obviously I've worked a bit, but, um, but really starting to understand how blessed I am just to be able to do, you know, to do things like walk outside and see people I love and, you know, listen to some music or read a great book or watch, you know, a movie because, you know, not everybody can do that. And we've mm -hmm. talked about the number of people that have died or become disabled by this pandemic. And so, you know, we shouldn't take for granted the really priceless gifts that we have, which we almost always do and get so mixed up about stuff that's not really important, you know, the yeah. how much we, you know, what our jobs are, or how much we get paid, or how big this or that, or where our kids go to school, whatever those things that we spend most of our life creating, you know, the to-do list for, you know, this idea about, um, you know, early in the pandemic, I was on the treadmill. I'll, I'll finish the story with this. And I was really, you know, some of the, what you talked about, I was struggling with and what to do and how to do this. And it's kind of a little bit overwhelming. And, and, uh, and I was just thinking to myself, wow, you know, what is the right solution? And yeah. right then, immediately on my playlist, the Beatles came on and it was Let It Be. And I thought to myself, wow, that, that, <laughs> is, that is exactly what I needed to hear. And, and I've really focused a lot during this pandemic on, just being and, and being grateful and understanding that I want to help in every way I can, 
but to think I could control COVID or think I can, you know, control almost anything is really quite laughable. And so that relieves a lot of the pressure of, you know, trying to maneuver this way or that way to make some outcome happen. Because again, I, I just feel blessed to be able to help, but this is way bigger than any of us. And, and I think it's a time of foundational change for not only our country and our world, but you look at the polarization. I mean, there's many things that are happening concomitantly and you can mm -hmm. almost feel like we're phase shifting. We're going from one stable state to another. And this is a really rocky time for a lot of people, but I do have great optimism that great days are ahead of us. And maybe this is the transition that we needed to understand what's really important once again. It's not, I completely, completely agree. And like, just we'll conclude here. We'll let you, you know, we know you're a busy guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it does have a feeling of, you know, if you've been fortunate enough to, you know, not personally been affected by COVID, or even if you have, it's just made you think like, wow, like, like what's the silver lining and, you know, what are the things I, and, you know, value in life and relationships and people and, you know, all these things. So I, I agree with you. I hope that, we come away. And I do think a lot of people are, as we've all kind of been in a life in isolation separately, but almost together in this, you know, mental effort to, you know, combat COVID that there will be positive things that come from this. I, I I'm optimistic. I do think we will come out on the other side, a, a more reflective, more, you know, appreciative, more empathetic, a more kind society. Um, so I agree with you a hundred percent. Um, so, you know, like I said, we'll let you go, Dr. Marsh. Thank you so much. The, the COVID czar, um, you know, title, but you've really been a face for the, for COVID and a lot of relief, I'm sure for West Virginians to hear your honest take on it, um, you know, in your position and, you know, coming into their TV every night. So we certainly appreciate you coming on board here and, and you know, going here for 45 minutes with us. Um, we wish you the best and, uh, you know, for a bright future and hopefully 2021 is a lot better than 2020. Thank you so much. And I, I feel the same. And I don't know if you guys have seen the little clip from an uh, author called Tom Fullery called The Great Realization. Have you seen that? Mm -mm. Oh, you should watch it. It's a, it's, a, it's a little riff on a bedtime story for kids around COVID-19 and the year 2020. It's really, gotcha. really very good. I would just say one last thing and I'll, and I'll let you guys sure. go too. So my dad was the editor of the Charles Gazette for many years. And he had some health issues and he, he retired from the Gazette. And he then started a TV show where he was gonna interview kind of the political folks and, and he you know, organized it and he wrote it and you know, he had a few guests on and they recorded a bunch and then they started to play them. And the first time that he saw himself on TV, he said, at that moment, I realized that I was a radio person. So <laughs> but for me, I apologize to all the people I come in on the TV for. So uh, no. but he ended up on with Hoppy for many years uh, and did the, the talk line with, with Hoppy Kirch. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very that cool. was also fun to reconnect with Hoppy, too. Let me let me ask you this then. Your dad, I, I'm just now starting to put this together. I'm sure he interviewed Kennedy. So it's interesting that you, so my dad. Because um, Kennedy made plenty of stops through West Virginia. Yeah, so during my that dad time. was, so two kind of neat historical pieces of my dad. Um, number one is he introduced Jay Rockefeller to Emmons, which is where Jay came as, uh, as, the, um, uh, as a uh, VISTA volunteer. And 
But when I came back, I reconnected with the senator and, you know, we reacquired the Rockefeller Neuroscience Institute named after his mom. And so that's been, and we still stay in touch and, and with Jay and Sharon and, and their great family. So that's been a cool circle. Yeah, you know, another one. Yeah. The other thing is, so my dad was, um, was for part of Kennedy's visit, particularly to Logan, where my dad was from, uh, he was hosting Kennedy. And, uh, and so, um, he took Kennedy by my grand, so my grandmother and my grandfather on my dad's side were both not formally educated very well. My grandfather's a coal miner. My grandmother, I think was a high school graduate, but loved to read and was really smart. And my grandfather is smart too. Um, but when Kennedy came, you know, my grandmother told him he's going to win. And that was when he just started and, you know, and yep. lots of, that was not the belief. It's not set in stone for him. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so in our basement of our house is a picture of my dad shaking Kennedy's hand, JFK, and a handwritten note saying to Don, whose mom always knew before everybody else. Oh my. <laughs> That's neat. Jack Kennedy. Oh, awesome. That's very That's neat. That's amazing. What yeah, a treasure that That's is. That's story. Yeah. Well, if anything, we learned more about the the, the Marsh history, the Marsh family <laughs> exactly. history than anything today. But Dr. Marsh, thank you again. Good luck to you. Thank you. You guys be well. Thank you. All right. And that's going to put a wrap on this episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Thanks again, Dr. Clay Marsh. Really enjoyed getting to know you, getting to speak with you and kind of you know, picking your brain a little bit on, on what's going on and just kind of how the last few months have gone, not just for the state, for the nation, but certainly for you. We really appreciate all that you're doing. Um, I'm sure people thank you all the time. I hope at least here's one more. Thank you again for what you're doing for the state of West Virginia. We really do appreciate it. Okay. Other things to note, we do have our blog up and running for everybody that's been following along, our team really cranking some good material out. Make sure to go check that out right now, mountaineermedia.org. Click on the blog tab, check out everything that's going on right now. We do have some new things coming into the shop section here soon. Make sure to check that out and make sure to stick with us right here on the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Another great episode coming up on Thursday.